welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, and I'm glad you're with me. I'd get slapped with a diagnosis of intersusception if you blocked me up with the idea that you missed this week's show. Virtual events. Evan Briggs and Gwen Sagan share their lessons from 25 virtual galas, which include takeaways for your next hybrid event. They're both with Wingo, NYC. And Design for Non-Designers. Wrapping up our 21 NTC coverage, it's a crash course in good design, covering fundamentals like color, type, and hierarchy. Step outside your comfort zone with Josh Ryman and Mike Yamagata. Both are from Great Believer. This week's conversations are from 21 NTC, and they wrap up our coverage of the conference. On Tony's Take Two, sharing really is caring. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Send in Blue, the only all-in-one digital marketing platform empowering nonprofits to grow. Tony.ma slash Send in Blue. Let's get started. Here is Virtual Events. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21NTC. You know what that is. It's the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're sponsored at 21NTC by Turn2 Communications. Turn-2.co. With me now from Wingo NYC are Evan Briggs and Gwen Sagan. Evan is Digital Fundraising and Client Engagement Manager. And Gwen is Director of Special Events Fundraising. Welcome, Evan. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, why doesn't one of you, uh, well, I'll pick. Otherwise, everybody was so polite. You work together. Nobody will talk. And then I'll end up having to pick anyway. So, Gwen, uh, since you're both from Wingo NYC, why don't you acquaint us what Wingo does? Thank you. Wingo is a small fundraising communications and design firm. Um, We often call ourselves a boutique because we're so small. We're 12 people. And we specialize in working with nonprofit clients, although we do um, have some corporate clients, but nonprofit clients that work in the social justice sector. Um, And that's probably about 70% of what we do. And the remaining 30% are arts and conservancies. And we help nonprofits with their individual giving and major donor fundraising and their special events. All right. And we're going to talk about special events. Um, Where are each of you in? Are each of you in NYC? I am in New York City. Okay. Where? Where? What part? Um, In Manhattan. Hell's Kitchen specifically. Hell's Kitchen. All right. Where? 9th Ave? 10th Ave? What? Um, in between 9th and 10th on 49th. A lot of good restaurants. Mm-hmm. On, uh, on 9th Ave from like 43rd or 44th up to like 55th or so, roughly, fifty, maybe 53, something. A lot of outstanding restaurants all along 9th Ave. I, I'm, I'm envious of your food choices. There's everything from I don't know, Afghan to Zimbabwe uh, is on 9th Ave in those like 10, 12 blocks or so. Yeah, exactly. And it's like almost feels like Europe now with all the outdoor dining. They've, you know, completely shut down some streets and it's just quite lovely. Right, right. 
So not Ninth Ave. They didn't close Ninth Ave though, have they? Not Ninth Ave, but the side okay. streets that go off of it. Right, right. We need folks need Ninth Ave to get to Holland Tunnel every day, <laughs> or Lincoln, exactly. Lincoln. I should say in your neighborhood, Lincoln Tunnel every day. Uh, Gwen, all right. So Gwen, you're an outlier. You're not in NYC. Where are you? Um, I am actually, although I, I when I'm in the city, you know, pre-pandemic in Borum Hill, Brooklyn. Um, and it, right now, though, I'm writing out the pandemic in Jackson, Wyoming. We have a small family place out here, and I came out for a week vacation when things went isolated and haven't left. Yeah, the week vacation so, that, that hasn't ended yet in over a out year. Out in the right? great outdoors, yeah. All right, cool. So you're Wingo, uh, you're Wingo Wyoming. Exactly. And we have a Wingo is- India, too, right now. One of our graphic designers is based in India, where she was writing out the pandemic. And so hmm. we're worldwide. Okay. Not strictly NYC. All right. Your oh, Borum Hill. So you live in Borum Hill? Yeah, yeah. Are you a member of the Park Slope Food Co-op by any chance? No, but a couple of my colleagues are. Half of us live in Brooklyn. And yeah, so I know it's changed a lot, you know, during the pandemic with the work hours and such, but what a great place. It is a great place. And I'm still a member. I live on the beach in North Carolina. I'm still a member of Park Slope Food Co-op. You know, they suspended the, they suspended the work requirements for the whole year. Now they're just slowly getting back into the member work requirement, Uh, but it's optional for several months. And, uh, you know, I don't know when I'll be back up, but uh I maintain my membership in the co-op because before that you could bank your shift. You could do, you could work uh, a bunch of months uh, or you could work a bunch of shifts like in a week or even in a month and have them for subsequent months for many, many months. So I never lived in Brooklyn. It's a great, it is a great community. Park Slope Food Co-op, shout out. I got to be one of the most distant members. I'm in North Carolina. You know, it's not, it's not easy to get there, but it's, I keep my membership. It's still worth it. All right, so we should be talking about uh, your NYC, your no, not your Wingo NYC topic, your 21 NTC topic, which is virtual events for the masses, inclusive and interactive gatherings. Evan, what what is this all about? You've got uh, you 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 did like Wingo did like 25 virtual galas in 2020. What you've got lessons for us? Yeah, we um, we quickly pivoted to uh, throwing virtual events for our clients. A big part of our, our business pre-pandemic was was in-person events, big galas, and even smaller donor cult- cultivation events. And uh, our firm learned quickly how to transform that experience into a virtual experience. Um, and we've had great success and continue to have great success um, with, the, with the virtual events. Um, you know, we create a space virtually on a, on a platform where folks can gather and interact and have a, a really sort of intimate moment with a, with a charity. And um, we've, you know, found that fundraising has met or exceeded all of our, all of our goals um, for each of our clients. And um, yeah, it's, it's something that we, we think is, is here to stay. And, yeah. you know, why is that? Why are virtual events going to continue when we can return safely to in-person events? Um, I think people just learn that there's there's so much benefit to having a virtual event. Um, you know, one of the most obvious reasons is that so many people can can gather um, from all over the world. And you know, the uh, we suggested to all of our clients that they make these uh, events free to to join, um, and then still offer sponsorships and other ways to donate. One of the big moments that we always have in each of our virtual events 
is what we call our live ask. So there's still a moment where, you know, at a, a typical gala, there'd be a paddle raise or a live auction. We've adapted that to a virtual moment and, and you still, you know, feel that energy and get to, uh, you know, have a, a night of successful fundraising with, you know, sometimes up to a thousand people, sometimes more. Okay. All right. So remaining, remaining relevant, uh, virtual events. And, uh, so I, I gather you have a bunch of, uh, a bunch of ideas, like some new, I don't know, maybe there are new best practices or tips, tools, strategies for successful virtual events. Is that, is that right? You're going to share a bunch of what you learned and then we're going to bring in some, uh, inclusivity as well. Do I have that? Right? Yeah, I'll jump in here. I mean, you yeah. know, to add on to what Evan said, um, that inclusivity by making it open to a broader range of people, not only your major donors that could afford that $500 or $1,000 dinner ticket when we were in person, but also everyone, staff, clients, you know, people that benefit from the work of the nonprofit organization really um, just reinforce all the positive things about your, your organization's community. So the major donors feel great because they're actually getting to interact with, um, as I said, some of the people that are benefiting from the programs and, you know, it hits home in a really different way. Um, You also get to grow your list. So all of those, and we're seeing that, you know, somewhere between twice as many and three times as many people register for these events as you would get in the room. So let's Mm -hmm. say you had a 400 person gala at Chelsea Piers, seated dinner, you could get, you know, 800 people registered for your event, usually about 70% of those actually tune in that evening. Um, Those are 300 new people, you know, that you can, you know, do some research on, prospect with them. If they come to the event, they now know about your organization. And so, you know, it's a great way to grow your list. It's really hard to grow your list in in real life, or it has been traditionally. And so that's one um, big benefit in addition to this just community feel and people, you know, really getting to know your organization and and be interactive with it. All right. Well, Gwen, let's stay with you. Let's get into some uh, ideas that you have about producing successful events. What should we start with? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things is with with virtual events is to be creative. There is no one cookie cutter way to do it for all, in our opinion. You know, we do, Evan can talk later about some of the platforms we use, if that's going to be relevant to this conversation. But, you know, we have a platform that works, but it's really flexible for whatever program the client wants to put on. And, you know, we highly recommend not just translating, you know, speakers at a podium to the virtual world. We want to make it much more engaging and exciting, fast-paced, dynamic. Um, And so um, one of the biggest things we like to do is a little bit of what we're doing today. Have your speakers in conversation. And that could be honorees in conversation with someone who would traditionally present them in the real world. But it doesn't even have to be that formulaic or formatted, it can be um, an honoree in conversation with an expert in the field of what, you know, let's say you're doing immigration or foster care work, you know, who are those experts in the field? Let's work them in because that's a big part of what your audience is going to be engaged in hearing from. Obviously, if you can get some celebrities, it's wonderful. Um, We do find that we've been able to get yeses from more celebrities in the virtual world than we did in the real world. I think part of it is because... um, 
even though there's an, an event day that we stream on this event, we do pre-record most of it. That's the, you know, behind the scenes, uh, real life um, reality. Um, we primarily do that because we want to ensure a seamless experience. Um, and pre-recorded can still be totally relevant and totally topical, um, you know, during the heights of the pandemic and the craziness of the previous administration. We did end up, re- when there was some something crazy in the news, we did end up re-recording, say, um, an executive director's piece, very, you know, very close to the event because something relevant happened that, you know, we didn't want to be tone deaf about. Yeah. So anyway, pre-recording um, really helps as well. And then it helps again with those high profile people, whether they be on res or, or donors, um, you know, who you want to guest speakers or celebrities, because, um, you know, you can do it around their schedule. Um, also, we just find that some very many of these high profile people who may have had just insane travel schedules, um, you know, are, were more available and certainly, you know, had such a big urge to give back. So that was a big piece of it. Um, the other um, thing that we highly recommend is to um, share, record and share the event, you know, use it more than event day. You can either, uh, you know, distribute it via your e-blast on your website through, um, you know, as the full piece, which is great to do, but then also, you know, create some video clips um, and share those on social and wherever you can um, for the relevant audiences. And then I guess the last big piece, and and maybe this should be a whole section of conversation today, is looking to the future and hybrid events. So, you know, depending on when you want to fit that in, we can talk about that as well. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. They help nonprofits, like your nonprofit, tell compelling stories and gain attention. Like attention in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Chronicle of Philanthropy, and lots of other outlets you've been hearing me name. Turn to communications. Your story is their mission. Turn-to.co. Now back to virtual events. I love the idea of uh, recognizing that your honorees and celebrities are, are so much more available for a virtual event and, and pre-recording to, to, to present during the event. Um, honoree, honoree timing can be a, a bad. Yeah, I'd love to be your honoree, but um, you know, I'm going to be in, in New Zealand that week, so I, I can't do it. But you know, we could record from New Zealand, or we can record from your home six weeks in advance. You know, it's uh, very good. All right, very good point. Maybe that's obvious. It's probably obvious to those of you who are doing events. Uh, I'm I'm a lay person. I'm just I'm I'm learning this for the for the. 25 minutes or so that we're together. So you spend your time studying this. Um, is that all the, the, Evan, is that, is that all the, the strategies, the, the be creative, pre-record, you know, try to leverage celebrities, celebrity availability, honorary availability, share, repurpose. Uh, we could talk maybe about hybrid. Any, any other tips though, before we move on to platforms and resources? Yeah, I mean, one thing um, just to add on to the the pre-recorded uh, tip is, you know, we do also sprinkle in um, some some live moments, and you know, and, and we and we do that strategically, so we do reinforce that feeling that this is happening live throughout the event. And then, you know, we often will have our our live moment directly in the middle or in the first half. 
sometimes we'll open up with a with a live MC. That's another um, a great tip for a virtual event is to to have an MC who can tie everything together, who's yes. really energetic, um, who can and you know can also interact with guests as they're chatting. Um, that really uh, we found that the the chat is is crucial, which is um, which is why the platform is so so important when uh, producing a virtual event. You know we. Uh, made a decision not to do our events on, or most of our events on Zoom, um, okay. because people are, you know, a little Zoomed out or Zoom fatigued. All right, we're going we're gonna to get, get to the platform. Okay. Um, but the, the interesting, you, 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 it sounds like you need some, you need an MC with a little higher, higher capacity, because like, all the moments are not going to be scripted, ideally, because like, suppose there's a technical glitch. You know, you want an MC who can make fun of it, be flexible, not get flustered because, you know, they have to do a little tap dance for, for a minute or two while you mm-hmm. figure out the back end problem or something. So it sounds like you need a MC with a little more, uh, yeah, uh, bringing a little yeah. more to the game, I would say. Yeah, that's, that's ideal. I mean, we, you know, we've also worked with, with folks who aren't professional MCs and, and part of Wingo service is we are um, day of support. So we on that back end are all on a, on a conference call, you know, in a, in a headphone in the MC's ear in case one of these, you know, glitches happens or we need to communicate something or, you know, we just had a, you know, $75,000 gift. Um, so, you know, really the, another beautiful thing about virtual events is that they really are, you know, opportunities for everyone. You don't have to have a professional MC. It does help, you know, but not required. It sounds like great fun. I would like, if you're, if you're ever, if you're ever in need of uh, an MC, I would love to do something like that. Uh, you, was, you seem great. <laughs> I, would, I would love it. I love the flat. I mean, I've done improv. I've done stand-up comedy, but uh, I'm, I'm not trying to give you my resume, but it just sounds like fun. Like it, it could be great. You know, there's a great energy and you got the producers in your ear helping, you know, coaching through and, you know, and then you, you're on, you wing it for a couple seconds or like a great gift announcement. Whoa, you know, bring that person up, whatever. All right. Um, all right. So what's this, what's this cool platform that's uh, supersedes Zoom? Well, there's, you know, there's a number of, of platforms. Oh, okay. The one that we've been using uh, primarily is called Demio. Um, it's Wait, a really... Vim, Vimeo? Demio. Demio. So Demio. D-E-M-I-O. Okay. Um, it's very intuitive. It's beautifully designed. You can customize it. The chat function is, is you know, very uh, easy to use and fun. You know, it, it's, not, it's not hidden. You can use emojis. That's another great thing for this, um, for the chat is the use of emojis or GIFs. Um, ways to express em- emotion, right? You can also tag people um, so you can speak to them specifically. Um, and we're seeing that, you know, more and more of these platforms are popping up and, and, and increasing in that interactivity element um, more and more. But okay. uh, yeah, Demio has been our, our preferred platform. All right. And I guess Go the other or... real um, important, really important reason um, uh, we started with Demio and then just, you know, Evan and our other team members do a lot of research probably weekly on what tech has changed, you know, should we stick with this or try something else? And um, they keep reinforcing that this is the right one. But what I was going to say is that it, there's a real ease of registration for people, you know, for guests coming to the event. And that was really important to us. Well, in the beginning, Zoom was, you know, sometimes if you didn't have the latest app, you wouldn't have the audio or, you know, it was difficult. I know Zoom is really smoothed out, but still, this is easier than the Zoom app. 
People literally, you know, put in their name, their email address, they get a unique link to click on. Reminders come to them a day ahead, three hours ahead, 15 minutes ahead, they click in, they're in. And the unique link is nice too, because then you don't have to worry about someone getting in and Zoom bombing or what have you. So, you know, it really is sort of a great gatekeeper and really easy to use. And then for those producing the event, um, what we don't want to forget is that it's incredibly great for uploading our content, switching between live and pre-recorded, um, going to that live text to pledge moment that Evan referenced. So, you know, there's some real um, advantages to delivering as seamless event as possible. Gwen, would you just reinforce it, please, and just spell Demio again? Yeah, D like dog, E-M-I-O, Demio. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And one um, thing I will, oh, sorry, I will just uh, say is that sometimes what we'll do is tack on a Zoom after party to to a Demio event. So Demio is sort of like the, the main event. This is when you go and you see and you hear and you fundraise. And then um, we, you know, even auto directs people to the, the Zoom after party if, if that is something that you're planning um, where folks can, you know, actually get on camera and see each other. We can, you know, do a toast. We've done dance parties. Um, Magician. We got to move on. That's cool. I love the idea of the after party, though. Cool. An after party for a virtual event. All right. Um, you know, we've had a, I've had a bunch of guests from NTC talk about inclusivity. Uh, so I'm going to we're going to we're going to pass that part with, with the three of us. But I would like to talk about communicating with these new supporters, Gwen, that you said, you know, you could end up with hundreds of folks that wouldn't have attended your your live, your in-person event virtually, obviously, because they can come in from all over the world. Uh, and we just have a couple minutes more left. So what's your advice around engaging folks who are new to your organization? First time was, is this terrific Demio based event? Yeah, um, exactly. Well, what we are finding too, that many of these new um, uh, guests, you know, become donors that night. They donate in the text to pledge, which is just that first step. And so, of course, the biggest thing right away is acknowledging and thanking. And then, um, which happens right after the event to every donor to the text to pledge and to the event, you know, anyone who's who's donated any amount, um, pre or at. And then post-event, when we do send out the um, the full event recording, we do, you know, give another opportunity to text it to pledge. And then, yeah, it's the thanking. It's just the ongoing blocking and tackling and cultivation. So, you know, we would add those people to our client's email list. We would um, include them in our newsletters, our ongoing e-blasts. Um, I will say, you know, we would recommend that the that the organization screen and rate their new donors, like, you know, a traditional, you know, fundraising approach. Let's take a look at these people. Oh, somebody gave us a thousand dollars that night. If they gave us a thousand, there's probably a lot of capacity there. Let's do a little more research. And for anyone who's a real, real major donor, um, they should get thanked more personally. So maybe the executive director reaches out after the event and thanks them or, you know, has a virtual coffee with them down the road. But, you know, just slowly and appropriately, you know, seeing how interested they are in the event and see how you can engage them down the road, both as a donor, maybe as a board member, maybe as a volunteer, if your organization has, you know, a lot of volunteer opportunities. But, you know, just to engage because they they came and they got involved. Can you say a little more, Gwen, about what to do maybe in the the, the, the days following the event, that, that first 
that first follow-up opportunity? Can you drill down a little more? Yeah, exactly. We highly recommend a post-event e-blast the exact day after, or, you know, if for some reason you need an extra day um, within within a couple days of the event to thank everyone for coming, share the full event recording with your list, anyone who both signed up to come but didn't tune in, and or your list of who didn't sign up to come, because now you can see it, right? People are busy, and while we are experiencing an increased number of people joining um, these events. There's obviously a lot of people that just can't on a given day. So, you know, that post-event e-blast is really important. And again, to give one more opportunity to give to the event and support um, the work. And then sending those thank you and acknowledgement letters that actually are, you know, the official tax letter that people can use in their um, in their tax uh, taxes um, with any donations that have been made. And then just, you know, ongoing, um, staying in touch with donors. Um, you know, we recommend that um, that people use e-blasts, you know, at least, you know, monthly um, and social posts to stay in touch with donors. And then ideally, maybe a quarterly newsletter. And then if it's appropriate, if you can segment your um, list enough, even some special donor communications a couple times a year to those most major donors that are a little more insidery. Okay, okay. And when we can get back into it, cultivation events, you know, we love having, um, you know, pre-pandemic and we've actually got a couple tentatively scheduled for the fall, you know, um, that would be outdoor, you know, like a, a person who has a, a building with a rooftop, you know, invite, um, you know, a small group of people to gather and, and hear from, you know, the executive director or the program people about what's new and um, what's been going on with the organization. We feel like there's a lot of pent up demand for that don't fear the events don't fear the events uh all right evan we just have a minute or so left so why don't you just leave us with some last minute motivation um motivation for virtual events i would say do one do one do one there's you know the, the world is really your oyster um start with developing a run of show that you know is is less than one hour that's the that's the time that we um recommend and um, just think about the story that you want to tell and then the folks that you want to tell it. Um, any, you, can, you can produce a virtual event on any budget um, and, you know, do it within three months, even less. Um, it's, it's something that you won't regret and it you know, will live in perpetuity. All right. In perpetuity. Well, nothing is better than that. That's Evan Briggs, client in, uh, digital fundraising and client engagement manager at Wingo NYC, along with Gwen Sagan, Director of Special Events Fundraising, also at Wingo NYC. Evan and Gwen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. My pleasure. And we'll call you about MC. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll be in touch. Wait, let me, I get to do my outro for our audience. Thank you for being with Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21NTC we're sponsored by Turn 2 Communication. We should be sponsored by Wingo with all these shout outs, but we're not. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, turn-2.co. It's time for Tony's Take 2. Sharing really is caring. Who can you share nonprofit radio with? May I make a suggestion? CEOs, executive directors, board members. Nonprofit radio has proven to be valuable for these folks. I hear the feedback from them in this way. 
it sparks conversations. It stimulates thinking. It broadens perspective, gives you something to, to think about, to maybe even, and to talk about, and then maybe even act on in your nonprofit. So these conversations, these thoughts often start at the leadership level. So that's why I'm saying CEO, executive director, board member. Uh, I think last week's show is a perfect example of that. The performance improvement, talking about the 360 assessments, the 360 feedback, ideal for leadership to think about as a method of performance improvement for, uh, for a team. Um, this week's show, this week's show, more of an example of something that someone in leadership would share with the folks on their team that it's appropriate for. So virtual events, um, uh, goes to the folks who are thinking about, uh, working on, not just thinking about, but who work on events. The, uh, design for non-designers, if that applies in someone's organization, then they're likely to pass it on. That, you know, every, every shop can't afford a, uh, a design, a designer or design team, certainly, or even necessarily freelance consulting to, uh, to help with design, as you will hear my guests, uh, Josh and Mike say. So in that case, you know, it's leadership passing on segments, conversations that are appropriate to the folks that, uh, that they're right for. So CEOs, executive directors, board members, they are terrific listeners. They get value from nonprofit radio. Do you know someone in one of those positions that you can share nonprofit radio with? I'd be grateful if you do. Please. Sharing is caring. Thanks very much for sharing nonprofit radio. That is Tony's take two. Now it's time for design for non-designers. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21 NTC, the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're sponsored at 21 NTC by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. With me now are Josh Ryman and Mike Yamagata. They're both from Great Believer. Josh is founder and president. Mike is art director. Welcome, Josh. Mike, welcome from Great Believer. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. My pleasure. And Josh, welcome back to Nonprofit Radio. Happy to be back. Two-timer. Yes. We're talking about uh, design. Design. Your session was design tips for the non-designer. I'm actually going to start with you, Mike, as the designer, as the art director. We can actually do this. We can, we can instill some, some degree of design in people in like less than half an hour. We can. It is possible. Yes. Okay. Uh, there's just some fundamentals and you just have to know it and away you go. All right. Well, we'll see. Away we go. All right. My the extent of my design is symmetry. That's all I know. That's all I can do. If you go to my yard, <laughs> you look outside of my yard, it's symmetric. Uh, if you look at my, I don't know, you look at my furniture, it's symmetric. <laughs> um, when I draw something, it's a house with a roof and there's a window on each side of the house. So straight symmetry. No chimney. Maybe you can help me. Pardon me? What's that, Josh? I said no chimney on that house? No, because that would be... Well, I'd have to put it right in the middle. Usually a chimney is off the side. See, that would mess up my symmetric, <laughs> get, get my two symmetric chimneys. mindset. All right. Um, all right, so let's go to the uh, non-designer, Josh. I mean, you're not the... You're the, you're the chief of this uh, 
design company, but uh, you're not necessarily a designer. You, um, you feel confident too that we can do this? I do. I'm the ultimate non-designer because I started a design agency and I have no design expertise or experience or clout of any sort or kind. Um, Mike is nodding. And it's very true. And, and this session is for people who work at nonprofits who did not intend in starting at that nonprofit to do design work. Maybe they're a comms associate or they work in the marketing department. And suddenly one day someone says, hey, design this flyer, you know, design the social media graphic. And they're like, hmm, I, I don't really know where to start. But our, our session is about how those people actually can be designers and they okay. can learn some pretty straightforward, basic fundamentals to improve their design and to improve it starting today after they listen to this session. Absolutely. We're gonna, we can take a day to give some thought to, uh, to the session, to the podcast, and then uh, start, start the day after. Start the day after you listen. And then, of course, you know, it's design tips for the non-designer. It's not great design for the non-designer. So, you know, this is not like those ads, those early Photoshop ads years ago, I'm dating myself, but, you know, take a Photoshop course and you'll be a great designer. We're not, we're not advocating that. Does Photoshop even still exist, Mike? Is it still a... Oh yeah, it's still it a thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. All right. So um, let's start with some like, fundamentals. I feel like we should start with the, uh, the art director. What, what are some design fundamentals? Yeah, of course. Um, first, I want to talk a little bit about graphic design in general. It's all about visual communication, right? So that's the whole point. Uh, so you want to create strong... Uh, design, which equals strong communication, getting your message and ideas across effectively and clearly. And you need a few things to make that happen. And a few of the things that we talked about in our session were four design fundamentals. Those are color, typography, white space, and hierarchy. So those are four of the building blocks. You know, there are more, but we thought we'd start with those. Um, And I can talk a little bit about them if you want me to, or yeah, say a little, say a little okay. about each one. Yeah, sure. These are, so just like, these are, we're going to build on these. So. Yeah, exactly. We're going to build on the building box. So right. color, you know, you used to draw attention, communicate emotions, ideas, uh, meetings without any text at all. So color is a really powerful tool. Um, typography, it's just the style or appearance of text. Uh, you use typography to establish strong visual order, also known as hierarchy. Uh, readability, accessibility, especially for the visually impaired, you want to have strong typography. And it balances out the overall tone of the design. Then there's white space, which doesn't mean white space. It means negative space, right? So uh, the space between the elements, you actually want to use white space as a design element. Uh, It helps with uh, readability, prioritizing content, um, kind of leading your eye from A to B. And then hierarchy is actually a visual technique where you're putting all those three fundamentals together to create um, visual order. So it helps the user go from A to B to Z and it navigates you through everything. So hierarchy is kind of like, um, once you get all those three fundamentals together, you put those pieces together and then you get hierarchy. So those are the four fundamentals. I feel like I get, I, I get, I, I see bad hierarchy. Uh, like oh, all the time you, you see a piece, you don't know where to read, like mm-hmm. how to read it or, you know, or, how to say the word that they made up or something, you know, there's not enough visual clues to guide me through this new word or the, the piece yeah. generally, like, do I read up here or is this more important on the side or, you know, okay. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually called um, cognitive overload where your eyes don't know where to look. You yeah, take right. so much in, you know, you only have so many seconds to retain it and then poof, it's gone. So then you lose it, you know, so that's okay. the answer. Uh, 
so now, Josh, how do we apply these fundamentals to our blank screen that we're expected to come up with? Should we should we design a sample piece, or should we be working with a? Should we talk about a hypothetical piece, or should we not do that? Or, or how do we how do we apply what what, what Mike just explained? Hmm. That's that's the ultimate question. I think it it, it kind of depends what level of a designer you are. If you're someone who's already done some design work for your nonprofit, you've made a flyer, made a postcard, made a social media graphic, you can kind of look back at the design work you've already done through the new lens of colors. You know, am I using too many colors? Typography. Is there a nice contrast here between the fonts I'm using? Um, White space. Is this work I'm doing too crowded? Is there no room to breathe? And that all ladders up to hierarchy, like Mike was saying. So I think if you've done some work, it's kind of time to do a little audit and look back at what you've done. I'm sure you've gotten better over the years, but there's still probably room for improvement to communicate your message even more clearly. Let's talk about some of the colors. What 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 some of the colors mean? I mean to me, red is anger, or you know, but. I'm I'm the symmetric guy, so don't uh, <laughs> pay no attention to what I say. I'm just a I'm just a lackluster host here. Um, say say either one of you uh, say something about some some basic colors and what they evoke. Sure, absolutely, yeah. I mean, colors it's tricky, right? Because colors red represents uh, danger. Stop. You know, it, it's a cultural thing. It, so that it's, it gets tricky there. What we're trying to focus on more is um, sometimes designers use formulas. So they use complementary colors, which are colors that are opposite of each other on the color wheel or analogous colors, which are colors are, that are paired you know, next to each other on the color wheel. Uh, one of the really nice tips we like to say is uh, use monochromatic colors. So what does that mean? That just means using one color, but changing the value or saturation. So light to dark or the intensity of that color. And before you know it, you can use one color and spread that into four or five different colors. Uh, so if you're looking at, you know, you have your own brand guidelines, let's say you only have a certain amount of colors, well, you can really get a lot of mileage out of using one color. So those are a couple of things we really like to use. But yeah, color can definitely use to draw the attention, to bullseye into an area, to lead you to other areas. Uh, but we like to start with the basics. So yeah, those, those formulas really help people. Let's start with some, or talk about some of those brand guidelines, as you just mentioned it, and that mm-hmm. was that was part of your your session. What what, what are these? What... I could take that one. Um, okay. It's yeah, something. Josh, every... you're, the non, you're the non-designer, so you need to jump in whenever you can talk about something. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> Chomping at the bit over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably resented by everybody at the agency, right? You have no. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Who is this guy? <laughs> For many why reasons. This guy even uh, why is this guy leading us? No, all right. I'm not. <laughs> I'm trying to cause dissension and uh, great believers. All right. No, I love it. Brand guidelines, please. So every organization needs to have brand guidelines. The brand guidelines need to explain what's your logo and what are different lockups of that logo? Is there a horizontal version? Is there a vertical version? It needs to describe your fonts. You know, what are the fonts in your logo? What are your headline fonts? What are your body copy fonts? And what colors do you have in your palette? What's your primary color palette? Is there a secondary color palette? Brand guidelines should also show do's and don'ts for your logo. So for example, don't change the font in the logo. Don't stretch it. Don't put it behind a different colored background. Don't change the colors, things like that. So even if a nonprofit does not have brand guidelines, they should make them. We actually did a poll during our session. We asked all the attendees if their organization has brand guidelines. And about 
let's see, about like 85, 90% said they do have brand guidelines, which is great. Um, and if they don't, we said you should just go make some. And you can make them literally in a Microsoft Word document where you just type out, here are our colors, here are our fonts, here's how our logo works, and then build on it over the years and make it a more expansive document. But it's really important to have to make sure there's consistent communication. So if the non-designer at a nonprofit starts to utilize, let's say, another color, like Mike was saying, maybe you're going to explore a monochromatic color, a different hue of a color in your main palette, that should then go into your brand guidelines. So other people that pick up on your work, let's say an external design agency, uses those same colors and things feel cohesive. So we're, we're big believers in brand guidelines for consistency, but also knowing that they can evolve over time as your brand evolves likewise. Yep. And I'll, I'll also like to say that brand guidelines, you know, they're, you're mentioning how do you start, you know, how do you start designing something, blank piece of paper, what can you do? Well, you really should look at your brand guidelines. In there, there should be also samples of you know, what a poster should look like, what should um, a page on a website look like. So these are all guides to help any designer pick that brand guidelines up and start to use it. Because uh, it's all about building and strengthening your brand recognition. And the first step is building that brand guideline and then following all of those elements and using them consistently. It's time for a break. Send in blue. It's the all-in-one digital marketing platform that has tools to build end-to-end digital campaigns that look professional, that you can afford, and that keep you organized. It's all about digital campaign marketing. Most marketing software, enterprise level, made for big companies with the big company price tag, SendinBlue is priced for nonprofits. It's an easy-to-use marketing platform that walks you through the steps of building a campaign. To try out Send in Blue and get the free month, go to the listener landing page at tony.ma slash sendinblue. We've got Buku, but loads more time for Design for Non-Designers. Uh, you have some uh, software resources that are simple enough that people can use them, but fancy enough that they can do the do do the do at least some basic some basic design like color topography etc um mm-hmm. wh- wh- where should we what can we start with what what is what's the first resource that you like mike oh for me my bread and butter was would always be creative cloud which is photoshop still a thing <laughs> illustrator okay. in design um but also utilizing newer apps like sketch uh or figma which is more about web design digital focus materials. Uh, Josh Figma. can talk to more about that. Spell Figma, please. Is it P-H-F-what? Uh, F-I-G-M-A. Fig. Okay. Fig. Fig. Right. Like a fig leaf. Okay. Um, yeah. And I can, I can pick up on that because the, the tools that Mike mentioned are for people who are designer designers and who are more advanced. They can use the creative cloud programs to design things from scratch. They can use Figma or Sketch to design websites from scratch. A tool that we love and we actually use ourselves and also encourage our nonprofit friends to use those non-designers is Canva. And Canva is probably a very popular program at lots of nonprofits because first of all, it's free for most nonprofits to use, but it's also very user-friendly in terms of developing templates. So developing a template for a postcard or a flyer or a business card, something like that. It has a really nice web-based kind of drag and drop interface 
that still lets you make things that are customized and fun and branded. So we think Canva is a really nice starting point because you can really do anything in there. Our, our session, we actually asked all the attendees, you know, what kind of design work do you find yourself doing most often? And social media was number one, but people said they do web, they do email, they do print. Um, there's so much you can do within Canva to create something that's beautiful and still fits within your brand guidelines and your your brand architecture. So we're big fans of Canva. And something else, speaking of email, MailChimp, Constant Contact, platforms like that make it pretty easy to develop eBlast templates that you can apply your colors to, apply not maybe not your direct fonts, but a font that resembles your font to and make things still feel nice and feel cohesive and feel engaging. So we like those tools specifically for email blasts, but recommend Canva for a lot of other design endeavors. Cool. Okay. Yes. I, even I've heard of Canva. I think it's, I think that's pretty, pretty widely known, but I'm yeah. glad, you know, a little more detail. Um, and you mentioned, so like Canva, you could do the a postcard template. So those, those templates that you do could be part of your brand guidelines. Here's our, it. here's our template for an announcing an event. Here's our template for a whatever campaign postcard, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And Canva gives you these kind of starter templates. So it can say, you know, postcard four by six inches. So it gives you the, the real estate to work with, and then you can actually design the piece within it. So you're not kind of crawling in the dark. It gives you a nice starting point. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm glad to see I'm trainable. I'm glad to know that. I'm glad to learn that there's, there's, there's hope beyond symmetry. All right. Um, well, we still got a good amount of time together. Mike, what, what else? Uh, any other, any other resources? Sure. Yeah. Resources for color. Uh, a good one is coolers.co, C-O-O-L-O-R-S.co. What they do is you can start to pick and choose and make your own palette and create different color combinations. Uh, what they, you can also do is lock in certain colors. So let's say in your brand guidelines, you have a blue, a red, and a, a green. You could punch those colors in, lock it, and then just start to play and create different palettes around it. So we think that's a really good resource to use for colors. Coolers. It's spelled coolers. Cooler. Sorry. Yes. Coolers. Cool. No, you said it. Coolers.co, right? Yep. That's co. Okay. Okay. Um, um, say a little more about the, the suite that, that you both mentioned the, that includes um, Photoshop. Uh, what was the, the suite of, it sounded like a suite of three InDesign, mm-hmm. Photoshop and Illustrator. Other? Illustrator. Yep. Illustrator. Yeah. What, what um, is that expensive for, for folks? It, it can be, it's a subscription based type deal. Now before you could just buy it outright and then it get free updates, but now you, it's a subscription based. So yeah, you'd have to pay monthly for it. Um, to me, it's, it's worth it because that's what I use every day. Uh, interesting to hear what Josh says, if, if it's feasible to have a whole team to use it. Um, Cause I believe they get multiple accounts for it. Uh, but yeah, Illustrator is mostly used for uh, icon vector work. So actually drawing things out and making vectors out of it so you can scale it. Photoshop is used to retouch photos. Um, and InDesign is mainly for printed pieces like uh, brochures, laying those out, books, magazines, and reports. Yeah. And I, I'll just say, you know, it costs around a hundred, a little under a hundred dollars per license. So per, per person to access these programs as well as others, it's a little under a hundred dollars. And one month, thing Mike mentioned. Like a like hundred dollars per month per person. Exactly. 
roughly? Okay. Yeah. And this is still for like the kind of designer designer, someone who's a little more adept and skilled and has more experience in the design space to use programs like these that can really unleash their skills. And one thing Mike said that I think worth mentioning, especially since Tony, you mentioned Photoshop before, is a lot of nonprofits tend to use Photoshop for creating templates for, let's say, for a postcard, for a social media post. And we actually don't recommend that. Photoshop is really a photo editing tool. And if you're going to make simple templates, we definitely recommend Canva. It's a lighter weight, easier to use program. Photoshop, it gets a little complicated. The files get big. And Mike, maybe you could talk a little more about why Photoshop is not the right fit for that. We try to restrict Photoshop to photo editing, which is really its core purpose. Yeah, you can get very in-depth with Photoshop, but it's not really needed if all you're making is a template for something. Uh, It's a lot of times just professional people retouch uh, photos, video, all of those things. So yeah, it, it, t- completely not needed. Okay. Canva. Canva. Canva's a better for me. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We still got some time. Uh, uh, techniques, uh, you know, how, yeah. to, how to visualize, you know, mm-hmm. what, like what goes on in this designer brain of yours, Mike? What, like, what are you thinking about while you're creating something? What goes oh, I'll, I'll give you a little peek. That's why, I can, that's why I always suck at math and science. I, I never knew what was going on in their mind. Like, you show me how to do it, but what are you thinking about? How do you conceive of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I'll, I'll give you a little peek. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's keeping these fundamentals in check, but then also looking at the world around you, looking at type around you, looking at colors around you. Look at how other people are doing it. You know, create mood boards for yourself. Look at other, uh, anything that gives you visual stimulation, go for it. And it'll kind of help mood you. Board. What, what's a mood board? So a mood board is something that helps get all of your thoughts honed together, distilled onto one board. So that's photography style, color, type. You know, you start to combine certain things that you find uh, work well together. And then when you, then you can step back and you see it as a whole and we call that a mood board. So that helps you visualize um, creating systems or identities for, for branding and design in general. So it's kind of like one of the first steps you do in your inspiration process. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some, some other quick tips. Going. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, we talked a lot about color, but maybe we can talk a little about type, type and white space. Um, I think for everything we're going to talk about, you really want to keep things simple, even for, you know, designers who've been designing for years, keeping it simple is always the best way to go. So in terms of uh, typography, maybe just pick one typeface and use contrast. So different weights, different sizes, uh, but just keep that one, you know, font and you can just kind of use that throughout your piece, you know, white space, just making sure we call it reductive design. After you design something, start taking things away, just take things away and see how that looks. Does it feel cleaner? Does it feel more legible? Uh, or did you lose something? You know, did you lose some of that oomph? Um, and for hierarchy, you know, we use all these different devices and terms. Uh, but one thing we always try and keep in mind is, you know, the point is to have the user be able to navigate from wherever you want, from the start to finish. So you want to really create strong visual um, hierarchy. So using type, using colors, using that white space to your advantage not giving too much clutter, not using too many colors, not using too much type, uh, not using too many shapes. So just keep it really simple. I think that's, that's really the best tip we can give. Do, do people read bold, uh, heavier, bigger fonts first and then smaller fonts mm-hmm. after? Right, all right. So that's, that's a, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just learning, I'm, but I'm trainable. 
So, <laughs> so that's a visual cue. You can Absolutely. say, look here first, then look here. Then we want yep. you to read this other thing that's the smallest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, use it to your advantage. Use uh, boldness, the size, hit it with a color, get people drawn into that, and then pair it with something that's calmer, maybe a sans serif uh, font. Sans serif meaning, you know, these two types serifs and sans serif, one has a little extra additions to the ends of the letters. Sans right, serif. Like Calibri, Calibri is a sans serif and Times, New, Times Roman is Times a serif. Is a serif. serif. Correct. Font. Yep. You know, so, you know, just using, using those things to your advantage. Yeah. Go, doesn't matter. Go big, um, go big, go bold, draw you in. Um, and then, you know, use type and then use all those other elements to your advantage. Yeah. Just to add on to what Mike was saying, I think the most important thing or a really important takeaway is to definitely use restraint when it comes to the number of colors you use, the number of fonts you use. It's often the case that we're working on a project where, our nonprofit partner will say, we need to do this much in this small space. And we say, we can't. So we need to start to figure out what can be removed and still get your message across. Or do we need this to be a two-page piece instead of a one-page piece? So I think the big takeaway should be that sometimes you need either more space to get across your message, or you need to take pieces out to do so in a way that sticks and gets people to take action. Okay. And Mike mentioned reductive design. Yes. Mm-hmm. White space. Yeah. It's, 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 it's soothing. It's calming. You know, uh, what about, you know, the, I, I assume this is valid practice is to share the piece with other people. Absolutely. Test yeah. it. Right? Are they reading it right? Uh, does it upset them? Et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's what was one was like uh, AB testing where you give two designs, two samples, the same user base, and then they, you know, then we can see which ones they gravitates more, more towards. Okay. Which one's more effective. Yeah. AB, of course, for a, for a broader audience, I was thinking just within your team, you know, oh, absolutely. This, mm-hmm. what does this look like? You know, talk me through your, as you're looking at it, what are you thinking? Things like that. All right. Um, all right. So there's, there's hope, there's hope for the non-designer. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a fine arts course. You're not going to get a fine arts degree in, in 25 minutes, not private radio, but there's, there's, there's basics. There's basics. All right. All right. We're going to leave it there. Sound all right. Sounds good. Okay. They're Josh Ryman, founder and president at Great Believer and Mike Yamagata, art director at Great Believer. Thank you very much. Thanks guys. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Each of you. And thanks to you, listener, for being with Nonprofit Radio Coverage of 21 NTC, where we're sponsored by, we should be sponsored by Great Believer. With all this shout out, I'm giving you Great Believer, all their design expertise, you know, but no, we are, uh, we're grateful to be sponsored by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. Next week, it's an archive show. I will pick a winner. Trust me. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Send in Blue, the only all-in-one digital marketing platform empowering nonprofits to grow. Tony.ma slash SendInBlue. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 
95%. Go out and be great.